and welcome to this Expert Insights CD. I'm Donna Hansen from Prime Solutions Training and Consulting. Our Expert Insights CD series is designed to give human resources and learning and development professionals access to the latest trends, ideas, philosophies and approaches that impact on how organisations manage, retain, engage and recruit staff. We know that HR and L&D roles are all-encompassing and it's often hard to find time to step outside your world and explore what's happening in other organisations. Prime's Expert Insights CDs are designed to provide you with concise information on topics relevant to you on a regular basis in a format that maximises your time and keeps you up to date with current trends in the industry. In this Expert Insights CD, we speak with the Corporate Commando, Adam O'Donnell. For over 10 years, Adam served as a team commander in the Special Air Service, also known as the SAS, leading troops into battle in some of the most hostile and complex environments on the planet. It was here his extraordinary leadership skills were developed, honed and ultimately put to the ultimate test under fire. Today, Adam is sharing with us the five P's to making better decisions under pressure. And I, I don't know about my, but you guys, uh, but uh, certainly that's a skill that I think is going to be great to have. Welcome, Adam. Uh, thank you very much indeed, Donna. Clearly you have expertise in leadership and decision-making uh, coming from the background that you have. What brought you out of the SAS and into the business environment? Well, I suppose being really, really flippant about it, uh, but not blunt, uh, it was a one-night stand on Everest that got very out of hand, and uh, I was there in 2000, climbing Everest with the, the regiment, as we call the SAS. Uh, I met an Australian girl, uh, I came to Australia, um, that relationship didn't last, but my love of Melbourne and great coffee did, so I thought I'd stay. Fantastic, well, we've certainly got yeah. a, a win there for you. Yeah, and then... Uh, that was in 2006. Uh, since then, I, I worked as uh, a consultant uh, for a number of major companies, like Australia Post, uh, IBM, and so on. Uh, and I realized that uh, Australian business was suffering from a lack of a lot of things that we really take for granted in the military. Uh, innovation. Uh, we, we had to constantly evolve our tactics, what we did. Uh, otherwise, we quite simply would die. Uh, leadership as well. Um, I think if you employ someone, uh, you rent their brains. Uh, but if you inspire them, you give them something, a, a, a cause greater than themselves to serve, they'll give you your heart for free and they'll go the extra mile willingly. Uh, and finally, dealing with uncertainty and crisis. Uh, there is no certainty in a battlefield. And so this was our stock and trade, turning chaos into order uh, and providing certainty in some fairly life-threatening situations. And and I realized that there was a, a massive untapped potential. Uh, and so I decided to create uh, my Action Stations, a leadership program, to, to basically help Australian business leaders to uh, sharpen their competitive edge. Fantastic. Well, I, I'm certainly um, in awe of, of people in the, the armed services and the contribution that they've made to, you know, safety around the world. So, uh, you know, um, thank you for that. Um, today, you're sharing, <laughs> today you're sharing with us your process for making better decisions under pressure. Before we get into detail, what are the five P's we're going to be chatting about today? Okay, well, really simply, um, pre-decision, mm -hmm. pre-condition, pre-experience, process, and principles. Sounds easy enough. I'm sure it's probably a little, <laughs> little harder. Let, let's start out with the first one, pre-decision. What does that mean? Okay. Uh, 
I'd like you to imagine, just for a second, that you are sitting by a pool in Fiji. Oh, I like that. Uh, it's good already, yeah. <laughs> uh, and you've been there for ooh, a week. And uh, you know the biggest decision you have to make every day is do you have another drink or do you go for, go for a swim in the pool? And the waiter walks over to you and very, very calmly, he, asks, uh, he suggests that um, there's a tsunami on the way and you might like to uh, uh, get up to higher ground. Oh. Now, what would you do? <laughs> I don't know. Run? <laughs> uh, okay. Well, um, believe it or not, this actually happened to me a few months ago. Wow. Uh, I was on holiday with my wife and a uh, small child in, in Fiji, and that's exactly what happened. Wow. Uh, so uh, what I'll take you, uh, first of all, I'll take you through what happens to the human brain under, under stress. Uh, it actually shuts down. Uh, the, the, the frontal lobe of the brain shuts down under pressure, under stress. Uh, it's a completely normal reaction. Uh, it's been you know, designed that way from the very start. So effectively, we, we get dumb under stress. Yeah. Uh, and so the key to making decisions under stress, uh, the thing you really got to uh, know about here is that under stress, we don't make good decisions. And what the hotel management had done was they'd actually made good decisions over coffee rather than under the pump. So they actually sat, uh, they sat down because this is the sort of thing that uh, they realized could happen and had happened to them in the past. So they sat down, uh, the, the, the management team, they sat down and they thought through the various scenarios and they thought, okay, what if, what would we do if this happens? So they got a chance to make the um, good decisions calmly uh, and... When they, were, when they weren't stressed and they could think about it. So they had a re- really clear plan of what to do if this happened. And I was really impressed, I have to say, and I'll, I'll put a quite shameless plug in for the, uh, for the, uh, the Fiji Beach Resort in, uh, in mm-hmm. Denaru, Nandi. They handled the situation brilliantly. They had a really clear plan. Um, we all just went to the hotel lobby and the, the, the staff were just calmly and... Uh, uh, Really, really um, efficiently, just put us all in rooms that were higher, uh, just higher rooms. Uh, a really slick execution of a really well-planned response. So, a, a simple, uh, a simple process is really um, the leaders. Uh, any leader has to see further than the people they would lead, uh, and a leader's job in this case is to ask themselves three very simple questions. Uh, first of all, what could make our day difficult? Uh, what would we do about it if it happened? But also, what can we do about it right now? Uh, so if it did happen, we can minimize the impact or we can make our response even better. So there's three simple questions. So th- that's really interesting. So in effect, it's risk management. It's exactly risk management, yeah. That's and, exactly it. Okay, and I guess for lots of our listeners, their organisations may have some form of risk management in place in certain areas where there's maybe legislative requirements, so <laughs> they have to have some sort of risk management in place. Are there any types or other types of areas in business that you know most people at a glance might not think that, that this could apply to and yet it could be really, really vital under stress? Uh, I think, uh, personally, uh, I think that if your business isn't taking risk, um, then you will go out of business eventually, quite frankly, uh, because there will always be someone uh, that uh, that takes that risk, that, uh, that manages risk sensibly. Uh, risk is an essential part of doing business. Uh, and so the, the companies that will succeed are the ones that can actually manage that risk better than their comp- uh, the competition. 
Okay, so that means, you know, recognising that the risk may be not an obvious risk, but mm -hmm. being aware that there's a process. I, I guess it's a little like a fire drill, having a process in place. Oh, yeah, and we'll, we'll come to that. Funny enough, we'll come to that sort of thing uh, later on in, in the piece. Getting ahead yeah, of myself. <laughs> yeah, but I think that there is, uh, I don't think there, are, there is no business that uh, I've come across so far that doesn't, if you like, incubate crises. Uh, and it can come from anything. I've worked uh, on pipeline leaks. I, I've worked for, uh, I've done consulting for, um, shall we say, a, a major entertainment venue in Melbourne. Mm -hmm. And uh, they had an issue uh, that was caused by a um, uh, a power failure and, uh, and a, gener uh, a generator that didn't uh, kick in. I've worked with organisations, uh, a lot of utilities uh, in both Victoria and uh, in Melbourne itself. And yep, the the number of things that can go wrong in a business is incredible. You just simply got to sit down and think about it and think about what would happen or uh, what what the impacts would be and what you would do about it if it happened and more importantly what you could do about it right now that if it did happen the impact would be minimised. I guess one of the keys uh, to what you're saying there is is looking past the obvious. There'll be some stuff where it's just obvious that there should be some sort of um, pre-decisional risk management process mm -hmm. but others won't be so obvious. Yeah and it's really uh, it's uh, I think one of the mistakes that a lot of leaders make is they don't involve enough experts uh, or enough yeah. people that have a, uh, a wide enough view. Uh, you as the leader may have a, uh, one idea, but it's you know, funny enough, if you start getting down into the weeds and asking people you know, uh, what could possibly go wrong uh, that would spoil our day, you get some quite concerning answers. Uh, I've worked with organizations, for example, that uh, uh, they uh, that, when they did an audit, they found out that they had one server, for example, that was running a critical uh, business process. Uh, it, was, you know, it had happened that way. No one had really been managing it, but it, it was all a business critical process was on one server. It wasn't backed up that much. There, had, there was no redundancy. Uh, there was no clear process for, uh, for uh, uh, replacing it. And uh, the, the list of, um, should we say, errors went on and on and on. So that brings us on to number two, Adam, precondition. Mm, what does yeah. that mean? Would you like to elaborate a bit more? Okay. Uh, what I'm talking about here is um, under stress, um, we tend to revert to learned behaviours. Uh, and I've seen this quite a lot in the, the corporate world. What we do is we generally... Uh, we, uh, we take someone who is good at doing a job and we... Uh, because they've been good at doing that job, we reward them by promoting them into a position of, of management or uh, a supervisory role, and we let them get on with it. And if we then put them in a stressful position, a stressful situation, what happens is they tend to, or they can tend to revert back to learned behaviour, so what they're good at, mm -hmm. and this leads generally to micromanagement. And so what they're doing is they're spending too much time done at a tactical level and not enough uh, enough time thinking further ahead. Uh, their job is to lead the team, not to actually you know, get their ha uh, be getting their hands dirty right down in the weeds. Uh, and like I said, it's because under stress we revert to habitual behaviour. It's been conditioned over many years to become a habit. Uh, in the military, what we do is we teach drills. We, we teach conditioned responses to certain uh, situations, uh, to bad stuff happening, for example, uh, such as a parachute malfunction. Uh, 
in the army, especially in special forces, we did a lot of parachuting. Mm. Um, it's uh, I don't know why someone thinks it's a good idea. Uh, <laughs> and basically, it's uh, a case of you you strap on a parachute, you struggle to the door, you pull yourself out of the door, and you plummet like a homesick anvil until the parachute opens. At which point, you just sit around and enjoy the view. Uh, and it's the same every time until that is you have a malfunction. At uh, which point, uh, as I always point out, you've got the rest of your life to sort the problem out. Uh, and, that, and that's the sort of deadline, I think, that can cause a bit of stress. Uh, and you don't really have time to think about it. It's got to be instinctive. So um, we teach reserve drills that are practiced over and over and over again, you know, um, hundreds and hundreds of times until it is literally something you can do almost in your sleep. Now... Um, and we'll talk later on about uh, thinking processes and, and so on. Uh, and what I would advocate is if you're going to teach someone, uh, give someone a process that you want them to follow uh, under stress, you've actually got to bed that behavior in. You've got to bed it in with, uh, with exercises, with practice. Give them the chance to exercise the new skill uh, until it literally becomes habit. Right, okay. So that could be in the form of role play or something uh, like that? Absolutely. I think that role play is one of the most powerful tools we have in, in our armory for developing leaders. Okay, so it's about having a process. I guess it's a little bit like the, the old adage, you know, it takes 21 days to make a habit and 21 days to break it. Mm -hmm. Yep. It's, it's like, um, yeah, like you said, precondition, getting into that habitual behavior. All right, that's, that's really interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's also you know, what I see as well. Uh, we have a competency fixation in Australia. Uh, and I think it's got some merit. It was born of a, as a good idea in theory, but I think sometimes we we lose sight of the fact that giving someone a uh, a three day training course does not make them competent. Mm, that's an interesting point and a very relevant point, I think too. It gives them it gives them knowledge. Uh, it's like a driving test. You know, a driving test doesn't really qualify you to drive a car. It qualifies you to go and gain experience by yourself. Uh, and so what I'm saying here is that. You know, we, um, the the training course. Once you walk away from a training course, that is just the start of your learning journey. You've then got to find. Uh, you've got to f make the opportunities. Uh, you've got to find them as a leader. You've got to give your people those opportunities to put that new skill into action uh, and to try it out. And I guess that's um that's one of those things that a lot of organisations don't necessarily do. They think, like you said, that the buck stops when they leave the training room. But Absolutely, you, you really do have to reinforce those processes, particularly oh, if it's something that's that's going to have um you know a great risk involved to it, whether it be legislative, whether it be financial, or whether it be you know any sort of any sort of um thing that you know you you're going to need to potentially react. Yeah, oh, definitely, definitely. And I think um, I hear a lot, especially in Australia, about legislation and so on. Generally, it's um, it's kind of it, it's common sense made law. And I think um, good business uh, it, it makes good business sense to, to do the right thing for your people and to actually give them the best possible chance of succeeding, whatever they're doing. Yeah, everyone likes to succeed. And so, you know, give them the chance to try these new skills out and to, and to really condition them in, uh, to become uh, habitual behaviour. That's great. So number three was pre-experience. Adam, what does that mean? Okay. Now, um, obviously, I, I live in Melbourne, as do you, and so I'm, any, and anyone who has even been to Melbourne will be intimately familiar with that curious phenomenon known as the hook turn. Now, whenever I first got to Melbourne, I, I saw this, this bizarre sign, and I, I, 
I wondered, what on earth is that? Uh, now, we interpret the world uh, uh, by comparing what we are experiencing to what we have experienced in the past. Uh, and so the more experiences we have, the faster we find a match. Makes sense. Uh, yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we have no previous experience of a situation, uh, then we need to take time and brain power to build a, a mental model uh, of the world. And, and in a fast-moving, stressful situation, you know, uh, we, first of all, we don't have brain power. We just covered that, that you know, yep. the brain shuts down. We also generally don't have a lot of time. So generally, the, the more experiences we have, the, the, the faster we can find a match. Uh, otherwise, we're, we're, we're already behind the eight ball. We're spinning our wheels trying to catch up with the situation. So just carrying on with the hook turn analogy, uh, it, it's daunting. The first time you see it, in fact, my mum, who came to Melbourne a few years ago, is still wondering what on earth happened to her. <laughs> um, uh, the, hook tur- uh, the hook turn is nothing more than the first half of a left turn followed by the second half of a right. Mm. Yeah. Um, so the more experiences you have, the faster you can find a match. Uh, and the way uh, you, you alluded to, uh, in fact, you mentioned it earlier on, uh, role plays and simulations and so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, in, in special air service, the SAS, we, we have a saying, uh, the, the more you sweat in training, the less you bleed in battle. Mm. Uh, so prior to any deployment, uh, um, we go through a very comprehensive uh, training package. Uh, once I was uh, deployed overseas uh, on a very complex uh, peacekeeping role, uh, I won't say exactly where, uh, and prior to that we went through oh, about a month of um, fairly rigorous training uh, involving at least a week of some really complex scenarios. And yeah, you know, the first couple of days it is literally, you know, what on earth am I doing? Uh, and we made a lot of mistakes. But we got better. We got uh, we got uh, we got to the point we could handle these scenarios really easily. And then I got on the ground to, into this country, and it was just like the simulations. The simulations had given me those pre-experiences. So everything I was seeing was like, oh yeah, I remember this. Yeah, uh, uh, instinctively we knew what to do because we'd had that experience in a controlled, safe environment. So here I was, uh, you know, driving through some really dangerous areas uh, where. Even if, uh, uh, the wrong gesture, a slight mistake could have uh, could have made a huge had a huge impact to my safety, my team's safety, and even some of the people around me. Um, but yet, because we'd had these pre experiences, you know, we were able to deal with that really, really well. Wow. So I guess what you're saying there is is you know if you're empowering people to be able to make decisions, the best uh, thing you can give them is some pre-experience and whether I guess in a corporate perspective that might be things like um, you know experiencing the um, that that pre-experience process or the process itself when mm-hmm. they're not in the role where they need to make the decisions. Well, it's. Um what I mean, for example, uh, is uh, and what I've done for a number of organizations is I've run a crisis exercise. I've either run it uh, because um, we're uh, testing and uh, promoting people to the point where they would have to, for example, um, run an oil rig. Uh, uh, yeah. And so uh, I've been part of the process to get these people vetted to the point where they get a tick in the box that says yes. Um, if it goes wrong, if, if everything goes very noisy, uh, then you are uh, you are capable of uh, of dealing with that situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a good way of building a team as well. Uh, you know, I think 
these sort of shared experiences are a brilliant way of developing a really strong team bond. I think adversity bonds people together, mm-hmm. whether it's for real or whether it's in a simulation. They look back and they think, yeah, we did that. That was awesome. So it's a good way of, first of all, it's a good way of uh, getting junior leaders to step up to the next role because I think you should always, always be preparing your people to step up and take your job uh, and step into your uh, your role because you need that backup because you will not be there forever. You'll you'll be away on other uh, other tasks. You'll be on holiday, for example. <laughs> so you need you need people who can step into your job, uh, and and so putting putting them through that simulation is a really good way of doing it. Okay, so that's great, Adam. Really interesting, and, and certainly your experience in the SAS bringing lots and lots of um, good ideas and, and things that you wouldn't necessarily think of in you know the everyday world. N- number four that we mentioned in your five Ps was process. Can you elaborate on that one a bit? Yeah, yeah, sure. Many many years ago, I had a problem. Uh, I had too much money and too much time. And and so I decided to learn to fly helicopters, and that solved both problems in one fell swoop. Uh, and whenever, uh, pretty much, you got to accept that um, a helicopter, from the very moment it leaves the production line, it just wants to kill you. Uh, it it uh, it wants to crash. Uh, that's it. Uh, seems to be its function in life. Um, no. Uh, so everything, everything we did with the helicopter, from starting up the engine, taking off, uh, landing, uh, everything followed a process, and uh, even crash landing had a process. Uh, there was uh, for, for any critical task, any uh, anything we do uh, that's um, repetitive or a, it's a predictable set of actions. Uh, especially those that are performed very infrequently, such as crash landing a helicopter. That's not something you want to do every day of your life. Um, uh, uh, but if it's, a, if it's a set of instructions that you have to get right and you've only got one chance to get it right uh, and you do it very, very infrequently, uh, I think a, a written checklist uh, or a, a process is absolutely essential because um, – it means uh, that you can basically go to the manual. Uh, okay, we need to, for example, uh, re, uh, restart this server or rebuild this server, for example. Okay, I just go to the manual. I pull out the list of instructions and I follow it. I don't have to think. I don't have to reinvent the wheel. I just follow the bouncing ball. Mm. The critical thing is it, it's written. It's accessible. So it's written down in a way that people can get to it. Uh, and it's tested. That's absolutely crucial. It's got to be tested. And it, so by having that, it removes the need to think. And, of course, if we don't have to think, we're immediately starting to reduce our stress levels because I know, aha, uh-huh, I've got a process. I just follow that. And I guess you go into a bit of autopilot then, don't you? Exactly, exactly. You know, um, um, it's, um, it's something that is, uh, again, uh, go back to the precondition. and it's, it's drilled into, okay, go and get the process, follow the process. Don't try and reinvent it, make it up and uh, um, on the spot, just go to the process, pull the process out and follow it. I think, um, you know, a great example of just as you were talking, it brought to mind something that I thought about that happened, you know, um, not too long ago that encompasses both the pre-experience and the process. And that was when uh, I think it was a United Airlines plane landed in the Hudson River and Mm -hmm. the pilot was acclaimed for, you know, saving the passengers, et cetera. And, And I remember him saying it was about the stuff that he'd done on the simulator. So he'd never actually experienced it live but 
he in his own mind he'd actually completed the task and no doubt there was a process that they went through in preparation for the fact that they were going to have a water landing Mm-hmm. Uh, I've actually listened to the uh, the CVR, the cockpit voice recorder, uh, of a number of air crashes, uh, and you can hear the uh, the pilot uh, and the, the various uh, the cockpit staff, the uh, the first officer, and the um, in some cases the flight engineer and so on, going through their checklist. And the the best ones you can you can just hear their voices. They're just completely matter of fact. It's like flaps check, wheels check and they're just going through this and it, they have done it so many times and but you, you make a, a very interesting point actually about the the simulation and about the fact that he had never actually crash landed for real but he'd done it hundreds of times on a simulator brings in an interesting point about the what we call the uh, the conscious mind uh, the the, uh, the mind with which we're thinking right here and now mm-hmm. and the unconscious or other than conscious mind the uh, the unconscious can't tell the difference between real and simulated. As far as it's concerned, it just sees a bunch of memories. Whether that memory was simulated or whether it was a real or even whether it was imagined, um, it can't tell the difference. We can actually use visualization as a simulation method, method as well. Well, I know that um, from memory, I think it was Michael Jordan um, used to, you know, imagine the basketball going in and mm-hmm. you get to a point where, you you know, the action or whatever just happens. And I guess in the case of that, the flight, um, you know, the last thing you want is, uh, you know, a, a remake of something like the Flying High movie where everybody's <laughs> running around the cockpit going, How, what do we do? What do, we do? <laughs> yeah, I, uh, the, the funny thing is... Uh, just, well, Taking that, uh, that that topic a little bit further, I actually have I still have my my old helicopter uh, flight manuals, wow. and there's a tab, one, one of the tabs, uh, and it's marked in red, uh, and it said emergency procedures, and it says at the very front page of the emergency procedures says it's made by an American company. It's a disclaimer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the the pilot should take all necessary uh, should take all measures to uh, to revise these uh, these procedures before requiring them. Worse to the effect of an emergency is not a good time to be learning anything. <laughs> and that is that is um, a very very yeah. relevant point. Yeah, and the, the other the other point about process is, uh, and I mentioned this um, earlier, the process for thinking uh, that needs must be conditioned into uh, into any leader. Uh, uh, and it's based on a concept known as the OODA loop, uh, the uh, Observe, Orient, Decide, Act. And that's a, a topic for a different discussion. Uh, but it's a, uh, it's a well-known, it's how we make decisions. Mm-hmm. And so I teach a very, very simple um, thinking process. Get the facts, identify the tasks arising from those facts, prioritize those tasks, make a plan and make a decision. And it's a framework that guides leaders um, are thinking perhaps under pressure, um, but it's it's only really useful if it's practiced. If you're ha- if you're spending so much time having to you know, think about the process, it becomes less invaluable. It's actually got to be something that it becomes instinctive to go through these steps, uh, and you can only do that through preconditions. So you have to precondition the process. Mm-hmm. So the final P, Adam, was principles. Let's go mm-hmm. through those. Yeah, I think now I've been involved in a number of uh, crises or incidents and emergencies, both in the military and in the the corporate world, and every single one of them has got one thing in common, 
And as the, the, the thing that has caused the crisis or the incident or the emergency has not read the staff handbook uh, and so doesn't know what, uh, uh, what we're expecting to do. Uh, flexibility is key. Uh, and I, I think I've seen some businesses that uh, that hamstring themselves that they uh, they they try to pre-plan too much. Mm-hmm. So uh, I did say, of course, pre-decision is an essential part of um, performance under pressure. But there's only so much you can do. Uh, at some point, you actually have to allow people to to use their initiative, to use their intuition as well. And of course, intuition is just a uh, um, a good data bank of experiences or pre-experiences um, but at some point people have to be uh, you have to give people latitude to act uh, on their best initiative to solve problems because if you insist on uh, maintaining very centralized control uh, of a large organization you will basically very very quickly become overloaded with decisions that must be made so the key is to uh, uh, empower your people to make decisions, but give them principles uh, that will guide what they do. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, again, to hark back to flying helicopters, uh, I remember as I was trying for the umpteenth time that day to do a crash landing, uh, and the whole process was that you had to uh, do a certain number of cockpit actions to, uh, for example, shut off the fuel to make sure the helicopter didn't burst into flames. Um, you had to uh, tell people where you were. It's always nice to send uh, to have an ambulance waiting on the ground uh, and all stack of other stuff. You're basically trying to do a lot of stuff with not a lot of time. Mm-hmm. And I was, get, I was making mistake after mistake after mistake. And my instructor eventually said, you know what? There's three simple principles to doing this, to flying a helicopter. Aviate, navigate, communicate in that order. And the whole thing suddenly became clear that you fly the helicopter first, then work out where you are, and then, if you have time, tell people where you are as well. And so the example I use in the business world, I use the, the mnemonic pearls, as in pearls of wisdom. P's for people. Uh, I don't think there's any business in the world uh, that does not operate uh, without people. Uh, our people should be our first priority. Uh, are, are my people okay? Where are my people? Are they accounted for? Uh, are they looked after? Uh, environment. Uh, basically, um, are we, for example, about to release a chemical spill into the river? Uh, uh, are, uh, am I doing everything I can to protect the environment in this incident, uh, in this emergency? Uh, assets. Stuff, in other words. Uh, and these are deliberately in this order. Uh, I believe this is, this is the right order uh, ethically for a business to operate. So people, environment, assets. And then we move on to reputation. So reputation management. So, uh, uh, and we do that by basically uh, a whole series of actions, by communicating ethically, uh, communicating honestly, by being in the right place, by uh, having our leaders in the right place, uh, being honest and open about what's going on both within our organization and externally. Legal liability. Now, this is, quite frankly, this is, uh, this is something I've seen companies get very, very wrong. They put legal liability very, very high up. And, of course, as a result, um, they, uh, they get caught out. We, uh, we find people, uh, the organizations who um, do the right thing by their people, by the environment, uh, generally are the ones that will survive a, a crisis far better, uh, uh, Johnson and Johnson, the famous Tylenol incident, is a famous example of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then finally, sustainment of operations. 
getting our business back up and running? Do we have the processes, the procedures, and so on to get our business back up? Uh, most businesses, uh, as I said earlier on, most businesses uh, incubate or harbor crises. Uh, they will they will have things that pop up all uh, all the time. Uh, most of them will not kill the business, uh, but it's the uh, the business that actually uses each of those incidents to learn to become a bit stronger that will actually become a better business in the future. Uh, and if they follow these very simple principles, people, environment, assets, reputation, legal liability, sustainment of operations, you know, they can actually, they can come out of it stronger than they went into it. I think they're, uh, they're certainly pearls of wisdom, if you'll pardon the pun, uh, back to what you said. It's mm. certainly, um, certainly relevant and I guess sometimes we don't step back and have a look at things from a strategic perspective as much as we should uh, because we're just too busy doing what we do every day. And mm -hmm. with, with so many corporations downsizing, you know, revamping their internals, less people, same amount or more stuff to do, it can be really hard to find the, the time to do this sort of thing. So, uh, you know, so what are some of the sorts of things that could happen if people don't uh, look at setting something like this up or having people equipped to be able to make better decisions under stress? Well, the okay. First thing, uh, I think if we if, if we throw an organisation into a bit of a crisis uh, and they are, le I, I ran one exercise, for example, for a, a company. I'll, I'll not say which because I think uh, they they hadn't done any sort of preparation uh, or any uh, they hadn't planned, they hadn't got any procedures or processes, uh, and this was a major organisation uh, that, quite frankly, it was quite critical uh, as part of um, Australia's critical infrastructure, they, um, they realised very early on that we are just not geared up to cope with even a very small emergency. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but I'll give them full credit. They thought, okay, um, we need to get better at this because this could happen. Uh, you've shown us a very realistic scenario that could kill our business. Uh, so it is entirely possible uh, that Businesses can, uh, can and do fail uh, because they simply do not take account of what could happen in the future. Mm, mm. I, I think uh, excellent advice. So just to mm. summarise, those five were pre-decision, pre-condition, pre-experience, process and principles. It's, it's all fantastic, Adam. I, I know many of our listeners have either been in the position of having to make quick decisions under pressure or they've got staff or teams of people that need to be equipped to make better decisions and I guess take the emotion out and be more strategic and ready in case of emergency. And I think you've provided today uh, some excellent insights and tips to get people started. Uh, if some of our listeners want to know more, Adam, uh, how can they get in contact with you? Well, very simply, I mentioned principles earlier on. Uh, I, uh, they are welcome to go to my website uh, and download my free white paper, The Ten Principles of Leadership. Um, they can go to www.corporatecommando.com.au or they can contact me via the website, uh, contact me, uh, or call me on 0404 830 998. 
Well, excellent, Adam. Thank you so very much for your time today and for your insights on the five P's of making better decisions under pressure. Thank you for joining this Expert Insights CD. For more information on Prime Solutions Training and Consulting and our services, visit our website, the three W's, Prime Solutions with an S at the end, .net.au. Until next time, this is Donna Hansen of Prime Solutions Training and Consulting, where we're helping you work smarter and not harder with technology. Certainly, your experience in the SAS bringing lots and lots of um, good ideas and, and things that you wouldn't necessarily think of in you know the everyday world. N number four that we mentioned in your five P's was process. Can you elaborate on that one a bit? Yeah, yeah, sure. Many, many years ago, I had a problem. Uh, I had too much money and too much time. And and so I decided to learn to fly helicopters, and that solved both problems in one fell swoop. Uh, and whenever, uh, pretty much, you got to accept that um, a helicopter, from the very moment it leaves the production line, it just wants to kill you. Uh, it it uh, it wants to crash. Uh, that's it. Uh, seems to be its function in life. Um, no. Uh, so everything, everything we did with the helicopter, from starting up the engine, taking off, uh, landing, uh, everything followed a process, and uh, even crash landing had a process. There was uh, for, for any critical task, any uh, anything we do uh, that's um, repetitive or a, it's a predictable set of actions. Uh, especially those that are performed very infrequently, such as crash landing a helicopter. That's not something you want to do every day of your life. Um, uh, uh, but if it's, a, if it's a set of instructions that you have to get right and you've only got one chance to get it right uh, and you do it very, very infrequently, uh, I think a, a written checklist uh, or a, a process is absolutely essential because um, – it means uh, that you can basically go to the manual. Uh, okay, we need to, for example, uh, re uh, restart this server or rebuild this server, for example. Okay, I just go to the manual. I pull out the list of instructions and I follow it. I don't have to think. I don't have to reinvent the wheel. I just follow the bouncing ball. The critical thing is that it's written. It's accessible. So it's written down in a way that people can get to it. Uh, and it's tested. That's absolutely crucial. It's got to be tested. And it, so by having that, it removes the need to think. And, of course, if we don't have to think, we're immediately starting to reduce our stress levels because I know, aha, uh -huh, I've got a process. I just follow that. And I guess you go into a bit of autopilot then, don't you? Exactly, exactly. You know, uh, it's something that is, uh, again, uh, go back to the precondition, and it's, it's drilled into, okay, go and get the process, follow the process. Don't try and reinvent it, make it up on the, uh, um, on the spot. Just go to the process, pull the process out, and follow it. I think, um, you know, a great example of just as you were talking, it brought to mind something that I thought about that happened, you know, um, not too long ago that encompasses both the pre-experience and the process. And that was when uh, I think it was a United Airlines plane landed in the Hudson River and mm -hmm. the, the pilot was acclaimed for, you know, saving the passengers, etc. Et and, and I remember him saying it was about the stuff that he'd done on the simulator. So he'd never actually experienced experienced it live but he in his own mind he'd actually completed the task and no doubt there was a process that they went through in preparation for the fact that they were going to have a water landing 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I've actually listened to the uh, the CVR, the cockpit voice recorder, uh, of a number of air crashes, uh, and you can hear the uh, the pilot uh, and the, the various uh, the cockpit staff, the uh, the first officer, and the um, in some cases the flight engineer and so on, going through their checklist and the the best ones. You can you can just hear their voices. They're just completely matter of fact. It's like flaps check, wheels check and they're just going through this and it, they have done it so many times and but you, you make a, a very interesting point actually about the the simulation and about the fact that he had never actually crash landed for real but he'd done it hundreds of times on a simulator brings in an interesting point about the what we call the uh, the conscious mind uh, the the, uh, the mind with which we're thinking right here and now mm-hmm. and the unconscious or other than conscious mind the unconscious can't tell the difference between real and simulated. As far as it's concerned, it just sees a bunch of memories. Whether that memory was simulated or whether it was a real or even whether it was imagined, um, it can't tell the difference. We can actually use visualization as a simulation method, method as well. Well, I know that um, from memory, I think it was Michael Jordan um, used to, you know, imagine the basketball going in and mm-hmm. you get to a point where, you you know, the action or whatever just happens. And I guess in the case of that, the flight, um, you know, the last thing you want is, uh, you know, a, a remake of something like the Flying High movie where everybody's <laughs> running around the cockpit going, How, what do we do? What do, we do? <laughs> yeah, I, uh, the, the funny thing is... Uh, just, well, Taking that, uh, that that topic a little bit further, I actually have I still have my my old helicopter uh, flight manuals, wow. and there's a tab, one, one of the tabs, uh, and it's marked in red, uh, and it said emergency procedures, and it says at the very front page of the emergency procedures says it's made by an American company. It's a disclaimer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the the pilot should take all necessary uh, should take all measures to uh, to revise these uh, these procedures before requiring them. Words we're, we're to the effect of an emergency is not a good time to be learning anything. Yeah, and the, the other the other point about process is, uh, and I mentioned this um, earlier, the process for thinking uh, that needs must be conditioned into uh, into any leader, uh, uh, and it's based on a concept known as the OODA loop, uh, the uh, Observe, Orient, Decide, Act. And that's a, a topic for a different discussion, uh, but it's a uh, it's a well known. It's how we make decisions, and so I teach a very very simple uh, thinking process: get the facts, identify the tasks arising from those facts, prioritize those tasks, make a plan, and make a decision. And it's a framework that guides leaders um, who are thinking, perhaps under pressure, but it's it's only really useful if it's practiced. If you're ha- if you're spending so much time having to you know, think about the process, it becomes less than valuable. It's actually got to be something that it becomes instinctive to go through these steps, uh, and you can only do that through preconditions. So you have to precondition the process. So the final P, Adam, was principles. Let's go mm. through those. Yeah, I think now I've been involved in a number of uh, crises or incidents and emergencies, both in the military and in the, the corporate world. And every single one of them has got one thing in common. Okay. And as the, the, the thing that has caused the crisis or the incident or the emergency has not read the staff handbook uh, and so doesn't know what, uh, what we're expecting to do. Uh, flexibility is key. Uh, and I, I think 
I've seen some businesses that uh, that hamstring themselves that they uh, they they try to pre-plan too much. Mm-hmm. So uh, I did say, of course, pre-decision is an essential part of um, performance under pressure, but there's only so much you can do. Uh, at some point, you actually have to allow people to to use their initiative, to use their intuition as well. And of course, intuition is just a uh, um, a good data bank of experiences or pre-experiences, mm-hmm. uh, but. At some point, people have to be. Uh, you have to give people latitude to act uh, on their best initiative to solve problems. Because if you insist on uh, maintaining very centralized control uh, of a large organization, you will basically very, very quickly become overloaded with decisions that must be made. So the key is to uh, uh, empower your people to make decisions, but give them principles uh, that will guide what they do. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, again, to hark back to flying helicopters, uh, I remember as I was trying for the umpteenth time that day to do a crash landing, uh, and the whole process was that you had to uh, do a certain number of cockpit actions to, uh, for example, shut off the fuel to make sure the helicopter didn't burst into flames. Um, you had to uh, tell people where you were. It's always nice to send uh, to have an ambulance waiting on the ground uh, and a whole stack of other stuff. You're basically trying to do a lot of stuff with not a lot of time. Mm-hmm. And I was get, I was making mistake after mistake after mistake, and my instructor eventually said, "You know what? There's three simple principles to doing this: to flying a helicopter, aviate, navigate, communicate in that order." And the whole thing suddenly became clear that you fly the helicopter first, then work out where you are, and then if you have time, tell people where you are as well. And so the example I use in the business world, I use the, the mnemonic pearls, as in pearls of wisdom. Peace for people. Uh, I don't think there's any business in the world uh, that does not operate uh, without people. Uh, our people should be our first priority. Uh, are, uh, are my people okay? Where are my people? Are they accounted for? Uh, are they looked after? Uh, environment. Uh, Basically, um, are we, for example, about to release a chemical spill into the river? Uh, 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 Am I doing everything I can to protect the environment uh, in this incident, uh, in this emergency? Uh, Assets, stuff, in other words. Uh, And these are deliberately in this order. Uh, I believe this is is the right order uh, ethically for a business to operate. So people, environment, assets. And then we move on to reputation. So reputation management. uh, uh, And we do that by basically... uh, a whole series of actions by communicating ethically, uh, communicating honestly, by being in the right place, by uh, having our leaders in the right place, uh, being honest and open about what's going on, both within our organisation and externally. Legal liability. Now, this is quite frankly, this, uh, this is something I've seen companies get very, very wrong. They put legal liability very, very high up, and of course, as a result, um, they uh, they get caught out. We uh, we find people. Uh, the organizations who um, do the right thing by the people, by the environment, uh, generally are the ones that will survive a, a crisis far better. Uh, uh, Johnson & Johnson, the famous Tylenol incident, is a famous example of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then finally, sustainment of operations, getting our business back up and running. Do we have the processes, the procedures, and so on to get our business back up? Uh, most businesses, uh, as I said earlier on, most businesses uh, incubate or harbor crises. Uh, they will they will have things that pop up all uh, all the time. Uh, 
most of them will not kill the business, uh, but it's the, uh, the business that actually uses each of those incidents to learn to become a bit stronger that will actually become a better business in the future. Uh, and if they follow these very simple principles, people, environment, assets, reputation, legal liability, sustainment operations, you know, they can actually, they can come out of it stronger than they went into it. I think they're, uh, they're certainly pearls of wisdom, if you'll pardon the pun, uh, back to what you said. It's mm. certainly, um, certainly relevant and I guess sometimes we don't step back and have a look at things from a strategic perspective as much as we should uh, because we're just too busy doing what we do every day and mm -hmm. with with so many corporations downsizing you know revamping their internals less people same amount or more stuff to do it can be really hard to find the the time to do this sort of thing so uh, you know so what are some of the sorts of things that could happen if people don't uh, look at setting something like this up or having people equipped to be able to make better decisions under stress well, the okay. First thing, uh, I think if we if, if we throw an organisation into a bit of a crisis uh, and they are let, I, I ran one exercise, for example, for a, a company. I'll, I'll not say which because I think uh, they they hadn't done any sort of preparation uh, or any uh, they hadn't planned, they hadn't got any procedures or processes, uh, and this was a major organisation uh, that, quite frankly, it was quite critical, uh, it was part of um, Australia's critical infrastructure, they, um, they realised very early on that we are just not geared up to cope with even a very small emergency. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but I'll give them full credit. They thought, okay, um, we need to get better at this because this could happen. Uh, you've shown us a very realistic scenario that could kill our business. Uh, so it is entirely possible uh, that Businesses can, uh, can and do fail uh, because they simply do not take account of what could happen in the future. Mm, mm. I, I think uh, excellent advice. So just to mm. summarise, those five were pre-decision, pre-condition, pre-experience, process and principles. That's it, all fantastic, Adam. I, I know many of our listeners have either been in the position of having to make quick decisions under pressure or they've got staff or teams of people that need to be equipped to make better decisions and I guess take the emotion out and be more strategic and ready in case of emergency. And I think you've provided today uh, some excellent insights and tips to get people started. Uh, if some of our listeners want to know more, Adam, uh, how can they get in contact with you? Well, very simply, uh, I mentioned principles earlier on. Uh, I, uh, uh, they are welcome to go to my website uh, and download my free white paper, The Ten Principles of Leadership. And they can go to www.corporatecommando.com.au or they can contact me via the website, uh, contact me, uh, or call me on 0404 830 998. Well, excellent, Adam. Thank you so very much for your time today and for your insights on the five P's of making better decisions under pressure. Thank you for joining this Expert Insights CD. For more information on Prime Solutions Training and Consulting and our services, visit our website, the three W's, Prime Solutions, with an S at the end, dot net, dot au. Until next time, this is Donna Hansen of Prime Solutions Training and Consulting, where we're helping you work smarter and not harder with technology.